hide them, help them. Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Extort them, you know. Dangerous Coterie in New York City. I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 141 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're continuing our series on campaign settings and talking about Vampire the Masquerade. But first the Rogue Traders entertain a house guest in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign, and later the Monster Within unleashes the Beast in the Character Creation Forge. So before we get to that, we have the answer to a riddle that we were trying to solve this week. Uh, yeah, last week uh, you may have noticed that my audio sounded like I was underwater. It's because you were recording in the bathtub, right? Yes, yes. Um, I was trying to end it all. I didn't have a toaster handy. I thought the laptop and recording equipment would work. Um, it did not. <laughs> yeah, your death rattle is seriously disappointing. <laughs> Uh, yes, the problem has been fixed, so we won't be having that issue again in the future, but probably other issues. Yeah, so fun with uh, adaptive noise reduction in yeah. Adobe Audition, huh? And loud computer fans. Right. So so what happens is like we record silence so that the noise reducer can you know kill the background noise and, and highlight our voices. Uh, in order to do that, right, you need to get a baseline. But when we take the baseline... Ishan's computer isn't like cooking or anything um so it doesn't really have a fan running and then you know about midway through the episode the fan starts running as we're doing video sharing and recording and all those other things and like cool now we've got this weird buzz in the background that the noise reduction is trying to reduce but it's over reducing it and then it affects the voice line and blah 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 and then you know bad audio see all the editing and all the googling we do for you yeah, pretty exactly. much every week. <laughs> Why'd we screw it up this time? <laughs> this was a weird problem that we didn't have time to fix in pre. <laughs> Hope you enjoy. Move on to next week. All right. So speaking of um, problems that we should have foreseen but did not, Shane, where are we in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign? So the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign is our Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader game played using Dark Heresy 2nd Edition rules by Fantasy Flight Games. And on the Dead World Malajak, the Rogue Traders and their two best companies of armsmen have located the Verza House, an ancient obsidian fortress once occupied by the fallen Dark Angel, Lord Cypher. And after a restless night, they are greeted the next day by a cloaked figure emerging across the valley, fearing that the uh, Inquisitor Felicitas had followed you out here and, uh, and perhaps had realized that you guys found the fortress and didn't call in. Uh, you attempt plausible deniability, Ishan. Oh, yeah. Wait, is her name actually Felicitous? It is. Now I'm just going to picture her as like Carrie Russell. Mm-hmm. You should. <laughs> She's 14. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're worried it's her. So um, Flair, our psyker, decides to contact her and act like he was, he's was. he been trying to contact her. I was, I was just calling you, in fact. Uh, but it turns out it's not her. Uh, it's a regular dude who works for our rival rogue trader, Duhon Roth, who is also stuck on this garbage planet with us. Yes, his name is Major Barrow, and Roth, he he explains to you that Roth sent him. Um, you know, if you recall, you kind of went, you guys went one direction, Roth's men went the other direction, you're both looking for this fortress, and you found it. Uh, Roth, anticipating that once it was found between the Inquisitor and the Dark Angel, uh, the interrogator chaplain, there would be some sort of betrayal or at least disposal. And uh, I mean, he wasn't wrong. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we did know this was out here, so we picked this direction at random. Right. But but his thought is either way, you're both disposable to them as soon as this fortress is found. So if you guys join together, perhaps you can both get out of this. Okay. So we shoot the messenger, obviously. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> no way. Actually. For once, we didn't. For once, we said, mm, that's a good point. We actually fully expected that uh, once we accomplish this, that the Dark Angels 
or the Inquisitor or both are just going to murder us so that we can't tell anybody, especially after the Dark Angel was like, let me share a deep, dark secret about us with you. Right. <laughs> One that nobody, <laughs> including the Inquisition, really has any inkling of. Right. We were like, I, I, I don't want to know. I, <laughs> ah, damn it. No, I'm telling you, listen up. <laughs> <laughs> Great, we're all dead. <laughs> Anyway, so Major Barrow, you know, you guys don't have an idea of what's coming, right? You, you, you've you got a lot of uh, of uncertainty in the future, but he offers you a code phrase um, that Roth has specified that will signify that you are in agreement um, the next time you have contact that you will bury the hatchet and sort of work together. And that code phrase is, for the future of the Imperium. See, this is a good code phrase because it's supposed to be something that you would never normally say. <laughs> well, no, because <laughs> for the future of the Imperium is not really, it sounds like an Imperial kind of phrase, but it's usually more like for the Emperor or the Emperor protects or, you know, those kinds of things. The idea of like for the Imperium or for the future of the Imperium, that's a, it's a new twist on an old classic. Yeah. The classic being, for the future of us. <laughs> right. For the future of the rogue trader vessel, the His Enduring Light. <laughs> for the future of me. So you guys uh, are still doubtful that this is real, that this isn't some sort of ruse by uh, Roth, and, and if this is, in fact, somebody named Major Barrow. But even so, he does appear to be, you know, an officer, uh, a, a functioning, at least, armsman. And does, he, you, does he have a bolt pistol? Um. No, no, he's uh, he's got like las weapons. Oh, mm. you know, a normal hotshot guy. But he did Fine. survive the desert alone for at least a day more than you did. Uh, I guess he can stay. Um, it's not even lootable, and you're not really like in a position to turn down functioning armsmen at this well, point. Well, if he had a bolt pistol, then we would kill him. <laughs> well, so so you actually detailed him to Trank, and you were like, "I need you to stay close because I don't trust you." I'm going to keep my eye on you, uh, but if there's a firefight, you're going to go first. Right. So, Trank begins making his normal inspection rounds of the defenses of the Verza house, and then what happens? Shots ring out from the upper casements of the fortress. I have no idea how that's happening, and we'll find out why next week. So, this week, we are discussing the Vampire the Masquerade campaign setting. Ah, yes. It is a time of gothic horror and nihilism. It is the 1990s. <laughs> yeah, it is a time of <laughs> trench coats and katanas. <laughs> of, of everybody dressing like the crow. <laughs> Wait, I don't think the crow was even out yet. I think trench coats and katanas, that's Highlander, right? Oh, yeah, I guess kind of. But, okay, oh, look, look, if here's here's the elevator pitch for Vampire the Masquerade, all right? The world is not what it seems. It looks like humanity has subjugated the world, but in actuality, much of society is controlled by creatures of myth and darkness, and most notable among them are vampires. So for thousands of years, vampire elders and the uh, children that they have blessed with undeath have fed on the blood of humans, but they've also warred amongst themselves for power. During the Inquisition, they were driven underground by zealous vampire hunters, and now they must wield their influence from the shadows. Wait a minute. I've heard this before. Uh, this is Anne Rice. Yeah, this is totally Interview with a Vampire. Absolutely. Okay, okay, right. Right. That, that came out in, what, 79? So she had, like, all of the 80s, and uh, The Masquerade came out in 91. Like, this is totally Anne Rice. This is Lost Boys. Right. And then Aaliyah died, and so did the franchise. Oh, tragic. You know, you'd think that plane could carry a vampire. <laughs> was she, wait, was she a vampire? She was the queen, queen of the dead. She was queen of the damned. Yeah, that's yeah. queen of the damned. Yeah, that was the movie. <laughs> and what a movie. <laughs> uh, if this also sounds like Underworld, that is because that is extremely influenced by games like Vampire the Masquerade. Mm -hmm. So, like we said, back in 1991... Mark Rain Hagen created Vampire the Masquerade. Uh, he's also the guy who did Ars Magica, um, and he worked with uh, one of the guys who worked on Shadowrun to develop the rules of the game in the first place. Yeah, and then this was the first product in the Storyteller 
game line, right? That's what they called it? Yeah, like the the system that was much more narratively focused. Yeah, so it was a move away from combat and dungeon crawling and more towards um, dramatic interpersonal interaction. Yeah, and if you think about it, this was a big deal at the time, you know, because we're only, you know, a decade and a half post Dungeons and Dragons, really. You know, so it's not actually that far off of like Monty Hall and like dungeon crawling and gold is XP uh, where like who cares about a story because you're probably going to die and then rotate a new in a new character in Tomb of Horrors. So so Vampire was the first in the World of Darkness product line and it, you know this uh, allowed you to play not just as vampires but also werewolves or wizards or um, different kinds of golems eventually you know you got a bunch of different source books uh, or those uh, aforementioned vampire hunters oh yeah, yeah hunter, hunter, hunter did come out eventually yeah uh, I, this was the line of books that were all titled noun the verbing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, like what the masquerade uh, I don't know what changeling was I don't remember that uh, Changeling the Dreaming was the first one? Oh, yeah, something like that. Uh, there was Protean. There was, oh, Werewolf the Apocalypse, right? Yep, yeah. and, and Hunter the Reckoning was the first one. Oh, it totally was. The the Ravaging, the Saddening. Oh, I guess, okay, so technically the, those aren't verbs, right? They're gerunds? <laughs> yeah, the running, okay, yes. Yeah, so don't, <laughs> don't at me. Anyway, so a big line of like loosely connected games in the in sort of sort of the same world using mechanics that kind of scale differently based on sort of the power level of a given monster. And vampires basically reign supreme. Yeah, so the the whole setting is called the World of Darkness. Now we are only focusing on vampire because I mean, we were like, oh, we can't chew through the whole world of darkness in like one episode. No, System Master has been doing that for like three Halloweens. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Also, you know, why cannibalize future episodes? Right, yeah. <laughs> we got a production schedule to keep. <laughs> All right, so it came out in 91. It was uh, won an Origin Award and then revised uh, pretty quickly in 92. There were some uh, changes to the game world, like, oh, the Gangrel left the Camarilla and, like, uh, the Camarilla took over New York City from the Sabbat in 1999. But in 2004, the World of Darkness got a massive reboot. Um, essentially, all of the product lines came to an end and all of the, like, uh, end-of-the-world scenarios happened in the storyline. And then they revamped it with the new World of Darkness in 2004. And Vampire turned into Vampire the Requiem, which changed a lot of the base assumptions about vampire society. We're not going to talk about it, about that at all because the mash grade's cooler. Yeah, oh. it's got it's got more '90s edge to it. Oh yeah, totally. Who wants who wants to play in 2004? Yeah, and then just you know, if you're following along with the game line, the fifth edition of the game is currently in development by Kenneth Height, who we appreciate for his work on Knights Black Agents, um, and the alpha is in progress. Yeah, we'll put a link up to the website. It's actually got a pretty decent uh, grimoire uh, detailing a lot of the information about the different clans um, and some of the background lore. The art is super 90s. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I I highly recommend you check it out. Uh, The um, shaded illustrations copied from photographs that passes art. Right. Pretty sweet. Art on a budget. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, a little bit bummed that it won't be compatible with Knights Black Agents, but understood that Gumshoe isn't exactly the most natural system for Vampire anyway. Do you know anything about what the system is going to be? I I mean, I don't know anything in detail, but I think he's talked a little bit about it on Cardus, uh, about it sort of sticking to the storyteller. Like five uh, dots? Yeah, like the dots and dice Ooh, pools. Oh, dots. Wow. All right. Uh, yeah. Um, so like we said, go to the website. If you want to sign up for the alpha, you can, you'll get a bunch more info. So let's talk about the setting where you play Vampire the Masquerade games. Okay. So it's like Shadowrun or Harry Potter in that human society continues to exist roughly as we know it in the real world, but there's this huge conspiracy that keeps all of this underworld darkness stuff hidden. Right. Uh, So it's modern day. Right, whatever you want to call modern day. Like, I think, like, The Matrix, where, like, 1999 is modern day. And, like, there's cell phones. 
but I, I don't know that you really get into like extremely high high tech or like artificial intelligence or things like that. Right. Like Shadowrun does uh vampire have uh, the veil where like if people like normal humans see crazy supernatural stuff they're like ah it didn't happen. No, it has the masquerade <laughs> which is vampires murder people who see stuff, right? <laughs> okay, so in the past uh vampires once lived and killed openly or at least more openly until humans finally really started fighting back during the Spanish Inquisition. So in order to protect themselves, a bunch of European vampire clans formed the Camarilla, which is a a loose confederation of the different bloodlines that governs how how vampires behave and treat one another and enforces a strict code of secrecy uh, that is punishable by the true death. Vampires killing vampires. So if you're playing a vampire game, you are playing as the vampires. And I think this was probably one of the innovations of the system back in the day. Like you're the quote unquote bad guy, although you're not, you don't have to be the bad guy. Yeah, you're the quote unquote antihero. Yes, yes, that's exactly (laughs) what it is. I'm off to find the villain or the (laughs) antihero. I'll know it when I see it. (laughs) So you're probably either recently turned or you're like up to a few hundred years old because you typically play... Uh, a character who you know is exploring the world uh, learning new things and like is really motivated to like get out there and make a name for themselves you're probably not playing someone who's like 800 or a thousand years old right so as a vampire you're supernaturally powerful you're very resilient uh, you have access to disciplines which are which give you magical abilities that allow you to do like you know crazy impossible things like shape-changing into bats or mind control through your gaze or whatever. Or a sparkle in the daylight? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Is that a flaw? That feels like a flaw. <laughs> uh, fortunately, in Vampire, sunlight kills you. <laughs> right, yes. Yeah, so, some things are still sacred in this stupid monster is hero fiction. So in the game, the tension is less about figuring out how to like track down humans that you can feed on or like fighting uh, you know, people with UV bullets. Uh, it's much more focused on the jihad, which is the internal struggle that's going on in vampire society because uh, different factions have different philosophical outlooks. Uh, I compare this actually a lot to Planescape in a way. Like you live forever, um, you kind of get bored. The things that that ultimately become really important to you are your belief system. So there are a few power players in the setting. The first is the Camarilla, which is the main organization of vampires. It's based in Europe. They're the ones who enforce this masquerade. But in addition to the masquerade, uh, the Camarilla is uh, very focused on enforcing the hierarchy between vampires. So older vampires uh, rule, younger vampires owe fealty, not just to anyone who's older than them, but also their sire, you know, the person who made them a vampire in the first place. Also, um, the leaders within your particular clan. Uh, and it's all about, uh, like paying respect or like playing, paying a blood tax to people who are older and more powerful than you. Yeah. If this sounds like the mafia, it's intended to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think there's, there's even, uh, one of the clans is like the, the Giovanni's, yeah, exactly. right? <laughs> and they, they came to it's power the by like, <laughs> <laughs> and they, like they're in charge because, it's uh, the Gianni they... Versace's. <laughs> they're going to get murdered on FX. Is the Giovanni Ribisi, the Giovanni Ribisi's, the sneaky Pete's, <laughs> The hero of Boiler Room or something. I don't know. Whatever. (laughs) Uh, So since you're playing a younger vampire, there's no way to ascend this ladder, really. Or there are very few ways to ascend this ladder because no one one ages out, no one retires, and no one dies. Yeah. So so you've kind of got this dynamic of, like, how do you grow in power ahead of your age, right? Like, what can you do within this strict structure of rules in order to, like, undermine the people above you and take their spot? Yeah, and and what does it feel like when you know you've been given this gift? Like, oh my God, now you can do anything. You uh, can. It's like, a curse. Yes, yes, it is. <laughs> uh, you can do it. You can like climb walls, and and you know bullets can't kill you. And you know, wow, now the the world is wide open. Oh no, actually, it turns out that like I'm a corporate drone. Right. That sucks. <laughs> I'm a corporate drone forever. <laughs> 
All right, so the Camarilla isn't the only group of vampires. There's also the Sabat, who are sort of the antithesis. Mm -hmm. So they're based in Mexico City, and they hate the masquerade. They think that vampires should just rule the world openly. And rather than having strict roles and having all that kind of structure based on age and um, and and hierarchy, they have a, a, a structure based on uh, power and accomplishment. Yeah, if you have proven that you can survive in a world where there are things out to, to kill you or, or more powerful vampires who are trying to bring you under their control, great, you should ha- be the one who's ruling. Right. Um, and they, they they don't have any need for humans, obviously. Right. So. They they eat them and then actually eat them. Right. Yeah. They're like even more disdainful. Like, okay. Like, so, I don't really care how cows structure their society. I'm still putting them in a pen and I'm going to eat them when I need to. <laughs> yeah. Like the Camarilla is like that they call uh, humans kind, right? Which is an, uh, an old term for cattle. This The Sabbat uh, basically just uses swear words. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So there's also the Anarchs. Uh, they're a sect of the Camarilla that wants to make it a lot more egalitarian. So they share some of the same philosophical beliefs as the Sabbat, but they don't share the same methods and they don't consider themselves separate from the Camarilla. There are uh, a few other factions that are pretty small, uh, but then again, the type of player I think who's drawn to the lone wolf aspect of uh, vampire in the first place may really want to play someone where like there's only seven people in your bloodline. Right. So there are 13 clans, and we will not cover all of them, but they're all uh, groups of like related vampires generally um, believed to have the same single progenitor. And they all represent some aspect of vampire life or society and some sort of like set of abilities that are sort of integral to what that clan is, right? So they all have their own strengths and then as a result, their own weakness. Yeah, they're related in that uh, obviously vampires don't have children in this world. Uh, they they sire uh, a child by uh, turning someone. By right? drinking all their blood, burying them for three days, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, all that normal stuff. Yeah. Except that it's the sexy version from Interview with a Vampire. Uh, right, yeah. <laughs> Drain them of their blood and then feed them a little bit of your blood and it's kind of like sex, but it's kind of like having a child. Uh, you know, it's kind of incestuous because, like, that's hot, I guess. <laughs> Let's, I mean, because I mean, because that's hot. God, <laughs> that's why I didn't want to do this episode. <laughs> it's probably going to be our most popular one. <laughs> All right, so so let's hit the highlights of some of these clans. So uh, you've got Toreador, which is sort of entranced with beauty. So they're the um, the emo artists, right? They're they're Lestat. Yeah, sensitive artist. That's them. And their weakness is that sometimes they're so enthralled by beauty that they're kind of paralyzed. Right. There's Tremere. Uh, they're kind of the wizard vampires. They can use uh, their blood in order to cast some spells. There's the Nosferatu who are... Like, yeah, I've heard of them before. Yeah, I know. That movie was pretty good. Huh. Uh, but they're like the hidden spies and informants. They're all like malformed and misshapen so they're all hideously ugly um much like the film nosferatu they're the gangrel who are i never understood like why they're not just werewolves they're the homeless vampires yeah (laughs) they're the street urchin (laughs) vampires like they just live in the sewer Uh, and they've got uh shape-shifting abilities but it does mean that they are uh, closer to their their beast within which means it's much easier for them to fall to blood frenzy then there's the ventru who are the aristocrats or the like kind of the leaders the tastemakers of vampire society they're your elves yeah they're your stuffy elves (laughs) right (laughs) they only feed on a on one kind of vessel yeah like uh they it needs to be a particular kind of human right like "Mm, i only like painters and actually, I can't drain blood from anyone who's not a painter. Right. You call that art? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, a Toreador would. Yeah, actually, yeah. And then there's the Macavians, who are crazy. Yeah, everybody needs a chaotic evil enemy, even the anti-heroes. Um, and they they can have, uh, you know, divine or magical insights that uh, no one else, for some reason could figure out because they just don't have the right perspective man 
So what are the themes? I mean, we've probably started hinting at them already, but what are some of the themes of, uh, of a vampire game? It plays out differently depending on your clan and and whether you're affiliated with the Camarilla or the Sabbat, but there is a an underlying tension between your own humanity, like what's left of your own humanity as a vampire, and what's called the beast, which is the the vampire id within you. And all it wants to do is like kill and feed and like bathe in blood and not you know, bathing in blood and like blood orgies and stuff is like par for the course. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but the the beast is like, ah, oh, I want to rip things limb from limb, and uh, because in this in this game in this setting, vampirism is a curse from God, like the Judeo Christian God, and it separates the vampire from their humanity. So if you commit particularly evil or like vicious, violent acts, it brings out the beast, and if you lose control, you end up in a blood frenzy, which means you you basically become an NPC uh, for a time. The storyteller says, hey, here are the terrible things that you did, and here's how you destroy the things that you love. Right. Sucks for you. Yep. So you spend a lot of time uh, trying to decide, you know, how do you um, slake these urges that you have, uh, but at the same time trying to make sure that you don't do too much damage to, you know, loved ones you had while you were still mortal who you still care about even though you're a vampire, or other vampires or you know your own political machinations there's also a heavy emphasis on interpersonal interactions so your relationship to the other pcs depends on your clan affiliation your philosophical outlook your age Um, if you have a party that's comprised of like different clans then you've got to you know kind of figure out why are you working together and how are you going to work together? How are you going to like marry all of those ideas together in a way that's constructive? Yeah, I think that's one of the sort of biggest issues that you kind of ran into when you were playing the the actual like Vampire the Masquerade game was, oh, right, there's 13 different clans and like, I want to be Sabat. Yeah, I want to be Camarilla. This is awesome. Wait, why are we working together? Right. Why, why are we even in a party? Yep. Yeah, it's like the only game where having multiple classes in the party makes it hard to justify being a party. Yeah. On the flip side, if you do all decide to, you know, come from the same clan, it would make sense that you would be traveling in a in a coterie together. But then, of course, you've got to deal with where do you stand in relation to one another? Is it possible that one of you is the sire of another one? Like, did one of you make another one a vampire in the first place? Um, do you have a blood bond as like a pseudo-sexual blood trading thing that you know um commits a a vampire to like aid another vampire are you all planning a coup are none of you planning a coup is one of you planning a coup i Uh, mean yes yes the answer should be yes i don't know why it wouldn't be yes Um, but even even within that right like like even as you're trying to uh make your mark on vampire society right you have to deal with the sort of imbalance of favoritism from elders or sort of first standing within a clan, all those types of like social dynamic play in as well. Mm-hmm. And then I think the probably the main reason that a bunch of people played in the 90s in the first place. And the, was, main, the main reason that we don't. <laughs> <laughs> is that uh, the masquerade has deeply ingrained themes of gothic horror and sensuality. I mean, it, it took a lot from Ravenloft in the first place. And I think... 5e actually has done a, a pretty good job of like dialing those back up recapturing and, that yeah, yeah and talking with like curse of Strahd and things like that but you know the vampires are undead but they often feel human emotions more strongly in some ways um, they can experience certain kinds of pleasures that would actually kill a person uh, the setting really plays up the sexual nature of the embrace um, or a lot of other things honestly like if you're playing a Toriador probably everything is sexual yeah. And um I mean I think this is a a theme that played heavily into its popularity for LARPs, right? Yeah, exactly. It um, was it was an excuse to talk to girls without having to talk to girls as yourself. <laughs> right. I'm going to put on a glamour. Right. <laughs> Hold up a, a mask in front of my face literally. <laughs> This is my glamour. Okay, listen. I don't care if I normally dress like an idiot. I'm dressed like a vampire now. A sexy vampire. Right. You can see it right here on my card. That Yes, it says sexy. It says not Nosferatu. It says four dots, Toreador. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is, uh, you want to play Queen of the Damned and not Underworld. Right, yeah. 
So actually, True Blood is a nice, uh, oh, nice yeah. blend of the two, right? Fair, yep. Um, beyond that, there's also a strong theme of political maneuvering, right? It's not a coincidence that uh, it's modeled after sort of a, a mafia, old Italian sort of Machiavellian society. Yeah, you're dealing with the people in charge who've been around for thousands of years and they've got no desire to step down. Um, so sometimes the only way to get rid of them is to kill them, which I think canonically two clans have actually murdered their founders and then renamed the clans after themselves. Nice. There is also a search for enlightenment. So given that vampires are um, undead, cannot die, they have eternity ahead of them. So what do you do with that time knowing that you'll still be here in 5,000 years, right? Like, what is your end game? Yeah, so the setting posits uh, this sort of secret path called Golconda. It's like a vampire nirvana. Um, your humanity wins out over your beast, or maybe, according to some legends, your humanity is in balance with your beast, um, depending on you know who you ask about it. it most people don't know about it. Uh, the Camarilla actually uh, suppresses all information about it uh i'm I'm not really sure it it reminds me of uh one of those old like one of the later highlander movies when like some of the immortals sort of uh remove themselves from society wait a minute can you please explain what a later highlander movie is (laughs) like uh highlander four there's a fourth highlander (laughs) there is when when uh the guy from the movies and the guy from the tv show there's a tv show (laughs) oh yeah there's totally a tv show who was watching this wasn't it uh was it lorenzo lamas no no no, it was adrian paul he just looks like lorenzo lamas (laughs) there's an actor named adrian paul (laughs) (laughs) yeah it totally is did this run like on the same night as uh as like Hercules and Xena? Uh, yeah, and maybe a little earlier. I think it ran at the same time or maybe in a block with like Beauty and the Beast with uh, Linda Hamilton. That was a TV show. That's what is going crazy. on? <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't watch any like uh, uh, late 80s USA, did no, you? <laughs> I clearly was too busy watching Nickelodeon. <laughs> Wait, so this competed with MacGyver? What the hell? Nothing competed with MacGyver. Okay, well, Good y- sir. Well, fair. <laughs> I think it owned its time slot, especially when he went back in time uh, to the Middle Ages and discovered his first name. So, like, this network went from Tour of Duty to, like, Highlander to... Burn Notice. <laughs> well, <laughs> and what, To suits? MacGyver to then Burn Notice and Suits, yeah. Uh, great. Characters welcome. <laughs> sort of. Uh, okay, there's also... Um, pretty strong themes of Christian mysticism if you want to dive into those. So canonically, Cain, like from the Bible, like, was the first vampire. Of, of Cain and Abel. Uh, yeah. And he was the mark of Cain, right? The curse that God levied on him after he killed Abel is vampirism. Oh, imagine that. So there's a ton of like in-setting biblical apocrypha that you can dive into. Like uh, the first city was created by Cain and it was populated by vampires and then destroyed in Noah's flood. Which is why the 13 progenitors of the 13 clans are called the Antediluvians, because they were alive before the Flood and survived it because they can't drown. Right. Yeah, that seemed like a big miss on God's part. Um, yeah, he's got a lot of failings. Right. <laughs> His <laughs> Old Testament God was not so great. <laughs> Bad aim. Yeah. <laughs> I want to ke- punish one person for lot, one thing. A lot of collateral damage. Right. <laughs> Just going to smite a whole town. No wonder he had to apologize. <laughs> but I made you a pretty rainbow. <laughs> uh, anyway, there's there's also sort of a prophecy within uh, within um, the Camarilla around uh, Cain returning to bring judgment on vampires, sort of their own um, <laughs> vampire revelation. Yeah, and this is something that you can like take or leave because like it's supposed to be a secret. Um, I I kind of think of it like Raiders of the Lost Ark or um, uh, the Last Crusade, right? Canonically, like there's there's that biblical stuff in there, right? The Ark of the Covenant exists. Uh, if you look at the face of like the Holy Spirit, you your face melts. Mm-hmm. Um, like the the Holy Grail exists. That kind of stuff. It can exist at that level, right? Like, oh yeah, we're descended from Cain, but like who knows if anything else in the Bible is true. Right. Or it can exist as like 
literal plot hooks that you are chasing down and trying to discover about vampires to use for your own benefit. Well, speaking of those plot hooks, Shane, let's dig through a few of them. If if you want to play a vampire game, what are some uh, interesting fun hooks you can hang a session on? How about damage control? So you've got a friend, maybe a member of the uh, of the party, a PC who has broken the masquerade, uh, sucker, revealed themselves to a human, or embraced them without permission, and they come to the party for help. So what do you do? Do you turn them in? Because you, you should turn them in. That's what you're supposed to be doing. Do you kill their child? Do you hide them? Help them? Uh, extort them? You know, vampire stuff. Yeah, I think you killed the child in a sexy way. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, okay, let's be clear. Whatever we're doing in Vampire, we're doing it in a sexy way. Oh, yeah, way. you extort them in a sexy way. Right. Uh, that's actually how I usually say it, right? Yeah. I I extort, but sexily. <laughs> See, it says it on my card. <laughs> <Yeah>. Four dots. <laughs> Sextortion. <laughs> Which is not a crime. Just want to be clear here. It's just a sexy way of extorting things. Keep my beast in check. Check your beast. <laughs> um, I like uh, turning the tables. You can have the hunter become the hunted. Because, uh, you know, there is um, the, the game line hunter, right? Where you're playing vampire hunters in mm-hmm. World of Darkness. Right. Uh, so maybe the hunters are on the hunt, but they're new to this city. And so... You're not supposed to be breaking the masquerade, right? It's probably not a good idea to just show up and, you know, murder eight people in a room uh, and then, like, let the local detectives try to figure it out and not notice claw marks and fang marks. So maybe instead you are tasked with infiltrating the group um, in, a, in a sexy way, obviously. Well, naturally. Well, yeah, duh. Um, and, you know, finding a way to turn them into the into a pawn of your clan. Obviously, they're not going to know that they're a pawn of your clan, but this is essentially what the vampires do all the time, right? Is they use money and influence and lies and obfuscation to make people who don't know anything about vampires uh, serve the cause of vampires. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the way that you're going to do this is by letting yourself get caught, then talking them into, uh, you know, feeding them information about your own enemies so that they go and become useful to you. You know, I mean, it's like just basic vampire stuff. Also, do it sexy yeah yeah and do it at night well naturally and either in a trench coat or a corset your choice as long as you have your katana uh you can also do a blood hunt so um you know you might need to hunt down a fellow vampire on the order of the prince of uh of the city you're in but when that vampire is dead you discover documents that allude to the location of your clan's antediluvian you know maybe they are um a few steps ahead of you on that plot hook. So it's apparent that the blood hunt was meant to keep the information quiet, and now you have it. So what do you do? It sounds uh, very familiar. It's almost like a dark angel was like, hey, let me tell you deep, deep, dark, dark secrets. <laughs> hmm. uh, yeah, the antediluvian plot hook is, is always interesting because some uh, some clans like really revere their founder and some really hate their founder and so it really depends on which clan you're in whether this is good news or bad news and i think adjacent to this you can also uh, run a nice little treasure map arc you know you've somehow find some evidence about how to reach golconda i mean obviously the way to reach golconda is not to follow a treasure map (laughs) (laughs) but yeah sure if you need a treasure map to get started down the path to enlightenment clues like uh, an easter egg hunt Uh, On the back of the Declaration of Independence. A sexy Easter egg hunt. (laughs) Is there any other kind? (laughs) Look at that cottontail. And Nicolas Cage is involved, obviously. Look, if anyone can get into the National Archives and steal the Declaration of Independence, it's vampires. Right. I think, canonically, Nicolas Cage was fighting vampires. Wait, has has he been in a movie where he fights vampires? Um, I find it strange if he is not. Did Ghost Rider not fight vampires? Probably. I don't know. I didn't see it. Neither did I. Um, Was anyway. he not in John Carpenter's Vampires? <laughs> so, so back to the treasure map. Um, you know, you can you can use this sort of thing to feed rumors or enticements about Golconda and sort of um, pull your players into interesting directions. So, you know, um, 
all of the restrictions that vampires have as undead, as, as, you know, cursed vampires, like the inability to walk in the light or having to deal with a beast, right? Like Gokanda would be promises to uh, alleviate all of those concerns. Yeah. So even if you have uh, players in the party who are totally unconcerned with like the philosophical aspects of Golconda, uh, the the power that could be gained by actually achieving the state, I, I think is a, a good hook for everybody. And super sexy. The sexiest. I don't actually know how, but whatever. It's just, it's in the way that you walk. It's true. You got to sway <laughs> yes. properly. Make, maintain eye contact. <laughs> you know. Uh, you can also play a much more traditional type of game. Um, maybe it's just the purge. Remember, there's a lot of infighting among vampires, and it's not just maneuvering. Sometimes you are murdering other vampires so maybe the sabat or the camarilla depending on which side you're on attacks the city that you're in in force and so in response the prince of your city declares martial law so your task is survive the night yeah that's really about it and of course make sure that you protect things that you actually value or still love right and then also you know keep it sexy so normally we talk about uh adapting to other systems so Despite the fact that Vampire has uh, years ingrained in the storyteller World of Darkness system, right? Um, what are some other ways that you could take the themes or take the the setting of Vampire and, and play it? I mean, I think even people who really love World of Darkness can admit that it's not the best system mechanics Uh because it has a, I think it has a speed stat, right? So well, you just yeah. you, you just pump your speed stat and take all the actions. It's yeah, it's it's one of those weird games where uh, combat is not the highlight, yet every ability has combat. <laughs> yeah, and and one of those things where like the better you are at something, the more chance you have to totally fumble. Right. Yeah. But anyway, so I think this actually can work really well in a superhero system. Uh, I mean, we've talked before about how there aren't really great superhero systems out there, but if you have one that you love, the the way that vampires play in World of Darkness is they are essentially people with superpowers, uh, gravity-defying abilities and, like, extreme toughness, and, you know, they dish out a ton of damage. Uh, they have mind control abilities, and these are all things that are pretty much covered in uh, your typical superhero package. I mean, it, typically you'll ignore things like uh, you know shooting laser beams out of your eyes. Yeah, but I mean, a lot of the rest of the Superman package like is totally doable. Yeah, I mean, except for the uh, super sexy. Someone's got to have I mean, the Purple Man. He's got uh, the ability of super sexy, right? Isn't that basically his ability? Is pheromones? That's a. Th- I'm learning so much. <laughs> it's it's the bad guy from uh, Jessica Jones. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. The reason I quit watching Jessica Jones. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> um, you can also pull Vampire into D&D if you give everybody like a monster template instead of a race. Um, you know, kind of starting with a level adjustment and also maybe at a, at a mid-tier level, you can play as vampires pretty easily. Yeah, I'm thinking of um, in Tomb of Annihilation, the 5e adventure path, one of the, I mean, minor spoiler, one of the uh, guides you can get at the very beginning of the game is actually a secret, uh, like, weird tiger. Um, So, like, she just has, she just is a weird tiger, right? She has the weird tiger template. She's got, like, a bunch of hit points and a bunch of resistances, and, you know, she's an NPC. But they just sort of expect you to, like, walk around the jungle with her. So... You know, just make everyone a, a weird tiger or whatever, you know. Um, I don't know that you'd necessarily give them like a, a CR-15 vampires to start out with, but maybe. Yeah. I mean, because the party's balanced, so who cares? Right. Um, as always, we like to recommend Genesis because it gives you a lot of flexibility for custom rules. And we like the narrative dice, um, especially in a game that is largely driven by social interaction. Yeah, and it, it means that you can, you know, you can have those great... Um, succeed at a cost or fail but with some success uh, results that I think work well in like a a, a 90s type like never nothing ever really fully works out for you right. uh, kind of um, WB 
the the CW. I guess it was yeah, WB back then, right? It was the WB, and I <laughs> I know that. Right, it's like like a more Buffy the Vampire Slayer type game. Wasn't where you're playing like, the vampires? Wasn't that on Fox? I have no idea. Here, Angel, right? You're playing Angel. Wasn't that on the same network as Buffy? <laughs> <laughs> Didn't it switch? UPN was it UPN? No. <laughs> uh, what was Charmed on? TNT. I don't think that's true. The reruns definitely are. <laughs> my my gym plays basketball at night, which is on TNT a lot of times. So sometimes TNT is still on in the morning. <laughs> Charmed is definitely rerunning on TNT every morning. I mean, I wouldn't get any work done at the gym. <laughs> okay. Oh my God, she's dating the source of all evil again. Um. Anyway, so any any type of narratively focused or diceless system can also be really good for freeform play. Um, I think drama system would be a really interesting attempt uh, or, or hack for this. That's um, uh, a game written by Robin D. Laws. Um, and then also keep in mind that Vampire gets adapted for LARPs all the time. So there's lots of LARP systems or like lightened versions of even the storyteller system that people use for that. Yeah, I think System Mastery actually has a review of uh, Mind's Eye, uh, which is a LARP put out by White Wolf specifically. Oh, yeah. Um, So I'm pretty sure it's terrible, but you can check it out. Yeah, I mean, LARPing isn't really our game, so I don't know. But also, I think it was put out in the 90s by White Wolf, so it's probably bad. So it's also Uh, not our game. (laughs) All right, so as we ask uh, every installment of this series Shane would you play in the vampire the masquerade world uh I am less enthralled with playing the monster uh it's not really like where my interests lie you prefer to play the human who is just a monster uh, <laughs> yeah okay fine chaotic like, neutral that whole yeah no but that whole like <laughs> kind of like gothic horror like doesn't do a whole lot for me so i don't think i'd be as interested in playing vampire um i have played hunter um hunting vampires and i very much enjoyed playing hunter so i i i would be close to playing but i don't know that i necessarily would like go out of my way to play how about you i think i'm more i'm more keen on vampire lore Uh, okay so i i like almost any type of vampire I guess except maybe Twilight, but that's just because the writing is terrible. I like John Carpenter's vampires. Well, that's because Twilight isn't even really vampires. Yeah, it's true. They don't do anything the vampires do. Right. Um, I like, uh, you know, Strahd vampire lore. Um, I like uh, The World is a Vampire. Good point. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and that's also very 90s. <laughs> Few things are more 90s than Smashing <laughs> Pumpkins. <laughs> And you know, as a as a new young vampire chafing against the masquerade, right? You're just thinking, despite all this rage, <laughs> does a vampire think of themselves as a rat ever? I, I guess if you're uh, if you're a gangrel, you could you could, you could turn you, turn you into a rat. rat. Yeah, yeah. yeah be right in there. You mind. go. Yeah. It, yes, it turns out Smashing Pumpkins all gangrel. <laughs> we were right. We were right. That's why Billy Corgan was shaving his head. He had lice. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> There's a James Eha joke in here somewhere. <laughs> so I would be much. Wait, no, was it Jim, Jimmy Chamberlain was the one who died, right? I don't remember. I was too sad in the '90s to pay attention. <laughs> okay, <It> was... <laughs> pretty sure that's true. <laughs> I think you're right. So I would be much more likely to pet, play like um, an underworld type game than say a Queen of the Damned type game, um, simply because. I am of an age where my sensual and emotionally important experiences tend not to happen at the game table. That's okay. Yeah. That's, <laughs> so that's a really good point. Like the, so I do like games with political intrigue with like social maneuvering. Um, but the overlay of like sexuality into that and like sort of that like forbidden lust uh, sense of vampirism is of, zero appeal so like for me like that piece of vampire is too present and like i feel like i wouldn't really be playing vampire correctly if i totally ignored it but i also want to totally ignore it 
Yeah, I think you get in a situation where, okay, like most of our game group is like, we're married and, you know, like we have decades of experience of, of you know, like romantic relationships. And I just feel like the the veil, like the, the little, the X card would come out so often yeah. that it would just, it would just interrupt the, the gameplay all the time. Or we would like play it to slapstick, right? Like it would be so like, like we so, do with everything, right? But it would be so <laughs> overwrought and like over the top because we don't want to imitate real life that like it, it just again it wouldn't be true to the setting, really. Mm. But I also really really like the Christian mysticism stuff because I used to be quite religious way back in the day, um, and I think it would be cool to play uh, a version of it where you're sort of really diving into the philosophical differences. Maybe like older vampires who have sort of gotten over the the like hedonism of the first eight decades. Okay. And you're like, okay, I did all that. You know what's really important now is like securing my legacy and figuring out where we stand. And like, is Kane coming back? And if he is, that means we're all going to die. Like die, die. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, I could I could get into that. I could also really get into just merging this with like Knights Black Agents playing like government operatives infiltrating the camera club. <laughs> like, or trying to like exert their who understand it and are trying to exert their control over it. Yeah, I I can see that. I could also be interested in like a vampire who doesn't necessarily understand the full extent of their own abilities. Like so we played a nice black agents game where we we our task was to figure out what the vampire's abilities are, right? It was like, okay, uh, we had heard a legend about anyone who hears a a bell that the vampire rings dies, you know, and that was being merged with um, like uh, audio technology, mm-hmm. you know, in order to like essentially create like a weapon of mass destruction. Right. Uh, but it, when we actually figured out what was going on, it wasn't exactly that the bell was right. just sort of the precursor to the vampire tech right <laughs> which we stumbled right into but it, i think it, would, it could be cool to play it from the vampire side where they don't necessarily know uh the the specifics of like the magic surrounding their abilities they just know like i do this and this happens i do this and this happens and they you're sort of going up against government agents who also have like actually probably have bigger more resources than you do mm-hmm. you know because one problem with vampire societies you're sort of still stuck in the middle ages right okay so i think the answer is we would play it but not with you in the book (laughs) (laughs) in the bathtub i played in the bathtub (laughs) right alone (laughs) in my head do you hear that ishan ah is it the bell tolling yes because you're dead now sorry (laughs) okay well great you can't talk, you're dead. This isn't Calvin Ball. There are rules. All right, I'm rolling up a new character. Let's move on to the character creation yeah, for A deaf one, okay, because <laughs> that's OP. All right, before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Dijon at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrillCast.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. All right, so this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are building The Monster Within. You know, in case you want to play something that freaks out, hulks out, hides out, H-Y-D-E. Wakes up bathed in blood and wondering what happened. (laughs) Whoops. (laughs) So what is the uh, monster within? It is Kensei Monk 14, Berserker Barbarian 6. So Kensei Monk, that's the one with the big sword, right? It can be. Although I think you may just want to play with a little dagger. With a little, so, lots of little swords. Got it. Oh, yeah. So many. So many. Spiked chain. Okay. So for Monk, you're going to get armored defense. You get a nice little speed boost. Um, one of the problems we have with multiclassing Monk is that you lose a bunch of abilities if you're wearing armor or a shield. But you are a barbarian, and so no armor is necessary. Yeah, you only lose your other unarmored <laughs> ability. <laughs> You'll be able to make an unarmed attack as a bonus action using your martial arts ability. You get flurry of blows, and yeah, you get to pick Kensei weapons. And you get a nice little AC boost if you use your attack action to make an unarmed attack from Agile Parry. 
You also get the usual monk things that we like, like deflect arrow, slow fall, extra attack, stunning fist, um, the defensive abilities, evasion, stillness of mind, immunity to poison and disease. And I think if you're playing this as a vampire character, then these are essentially the things that you'd be getting anyway, right? Like um, vampires are preternaturally dexterous. You know, they dodge out of the way in ways that human beings shouldn't be able to. They're very hard to mind control. Obviously, poison doesn't affect them. Right. At level 11, you'll get sharpen the blade, which basically just lets you have a plus three weapon all of the time. And then at 14, you get Diamond Soul, which gives you proficiency in all saves. Uh, Again, making vampires very hard to affect. Now, Barbarian, the only things you need to keep in mind are some of these abilities only work with strength attacks. But for the most part, you can use your monk abilities with uh, strength if you want. I I think what I would do is when you, like, rage out, uh, when when the beast... Wake awakens, I would switch from using dex to using strength attacks. But you do get reckless attack, uh, which lets you roll with advantage. So even if your strength isn't that high, you have a good chance of hitting. Plus, you've got sharpen the blade, and you're probably rocking a plus three weapon in your hand. You do get unarmored defense, but I believe, according to Raw, you only get to keep whichever yeah, you, one you get first, right? No, you, you pick which formula you want. Oh, well, that's better. You only get one formula. Fortunately, your speed boost stacks, though, so you're super fast like a vampire is supposed to be. Yep. Um, you can actually make an extra, extra attack as a bonus action uh, as a barbarian um, with a berserker ability. So if you're using a bigger blade, you can use that as your extra attack. You'll get damage resistance while you're raging up to four times per day. And when uh, by level six, you'll get mindless rage, which will make you immune, straight up immune to charm and fear effects. So Ishan, who is your monster within? My monster within is a scholar. She obviously is well-trained, two-fisted, perhaps. But on a, on a dig or while researching a dusty tome, she came across an entity that in another character perhaps would have offered a deal or she would have said, you know what I want? I want power, and so let's make a pact. But she did not. Instead, she said, I will resist you. I, have, I want no part of your evil ways and instead the spirit said well then challenge accepted (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna live inside you we're gonna hang out and i think you're gonna get used to me we're gonna enjoy this partnership so this uh this is like a zombie durkan (laughs) yeah there you go except that sometimes the zombie goes away right (laughs) (laughs) uh so yeah she maintains all of her other abilities i mean this is why we didn't go like you know, wizard barbarian, right? Because when the monster is unleashed, you these kinds of characters tend to actually be more powerful, right? You don't lose abilities; you you maintain all your all of your others, even if you don't maintain your um, mental faculties right. necessarily. Yeah. Uh, so she's still got all of the monk abilities, where she can still punch through a wall or through a chest cavity, um, and you know, dodge fireballs with the best of them. But she also just happens to get super strong and able to you know knock down buildings and so she channels this she knows she can't get rid of this uh this passenger who's decided to hitch a ride uh so she instead says all right sometimes i'm gonna use you and i'm gonna let you out only when i find you useful like for example i'm surrounded by reavers and all of my friends are behind a locked door (laughs) this sounds like a gorilla (laughs) song So yeah, there you go. Uh, She is her own secret weapon. Shane, what about your monster within? So my monster within is a, if not a turned vampire, like a half blade. Let's go with blade. A dampier. Yeah, like a, you know, a daywalker. Um, but but is actually part of the, you know, has suffered from the the vampiric embrace and is seeking the path to Golconda. Unfortunately, the path to Golconda is uh, littered with um, traps, as it turns out. Uh, And so as my monster within sort of uh, advances to the path of enlightenment, uh, accidentally uncovers that, like, part of the, the, the cost of all of that control is that it sometimes must just be fully released, right? Like, um, you, the, the, the attempt to control 
with perfect discipline also creates this necessary counterforce. And uh, that is that monster that must come out with a with a violent rage. So the quote-unquote balance that Golconda promises between humanity and beast is, is actually... Perfect control and absolute loss of control. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> Look, it averages out. It averages out. No, no wonder the Camarilla is trying to bury it. That's a terrible model for balance. All right. Before we wrap up, we want to take a moment to thank our Patreon supporters. Yeah, your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every week. Man, we do this show every week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? We're talking about insanity and madness. And in the character creation forge? We're building the Mind Piercer. Well, that's it for episode 141 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Yishin. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.